Um, all right, so good morning. Uh, my name is Joey Sedlock. I am a member here of Sulphur Community Church, and today uh, I have the privilege to continue our study through the Advent season, uh, Luke's chapter uh, 1 and 2, and um, our text today is going to be Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. If you just so happen to have the exact same Bible as me, it's page 1338. Um, but that's unlikely. But Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, which read, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appear, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the, heaven, of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory! To God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today, Lord, and and I just pray that we are still and that we are quiet and that we know that you are Lord. We know that you are God, that you are faithful, that you are sovereign and in control. Lord, I pray that we know that your, your speaking is, is your doing. And Lord, I pray that our hearts are open to your word, that our hearts are submissive and humble, and Lord, that you are glorified above all else. We pray these things in your heavenly and precious name. Amen. All right, so we are, in, we are in the Christmas season, right? I keep getting in trouble for saying holiday season. It's, I work with the general public. I'm used to it, right? And so we are, we are in the Christmas season. And, and who, who enjoys the Christmas season? Who enjoys it? There we go. Okay. Okay. I wasn't going to Jesus juke. You'd be like, no, nah, who loves Jesus? No, no, it's just who, who enjoys Christmas? I enjoy Christmas, right? And, and I'm so glad a few weeks ago that David said that he enjoys getting presents because now I get to say it too. I enjoy getting presents. I just enjoy it. We, we all know presents aren't the reason for the season. And, and we have all those like memes that make us feel bad about liking things. But, but generally, right? Most people, they, they enjoy this time of year, and, and I've one of them. Now, there's a few things about this time of year that, that I don't enjoy. Mainly, it's waiting, right? You, you, you give a list, or, or you, you build up this anticipation for, for these big meals and these times with family, and to finally get those presents that are under the tree, we... We shook them, right? We're trying to see what they are. Remy goes and picks one up almost daily. And it's like, can I open it today? And we're like, no, I know you don't know what December 25th is, but that's, that's when you get to open. And she's like, okay, she puts it down. She'll ask again tomorrow. Right? And it's, it's that waiting. It's, it's sitting in that anticipation. But in general, does anybody just enjoy waiting? Like, is that, is that big for you? Like, when you go to a store and there's a long line? Like, you must love Walmart if you love waiting. You just, you just get to wait forever. 
What about like the day-to-day waiting, right? Not just like the Christmas time where it's big and everything, but like the day-to-day waiting on, on someone to return a text or a phone call or an email. I don't, I don't much like waiting, especially on, on, on those things, because what happens is when, when, when somebody has agreed to do something or, or you've asked someone a question and they haven't gotten back to you yet, and you're just in that period of time where you're, you're waiting for some kind of response, what happens to me at least is the longer it goes, the more likely fear will start to creep in. Right? You ever sent someone a text and, and you expect a, a, a quick response and, and nobody turns on red receipts anymore, so I, I can't even tell if you got it, Trent. I love texting you, buddy, because you got red receipts on. Um, that's what Jesus would have done. I just let, y'all, the rest of y'all can wrestle with that if you want to. Uh, be like, yeah, I know some of y'all see that text, and you know how to do it without letting the other piece of person know that you read it. Um, and, but fear starts to creep in, right? You start to think, well, maybe they didn't get it. Or, or maybe the news that... that that I'm requesting from them isn't good. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they don't care. That's why they haven't called me back. That's why I haven't gotten that email back. That's why I haven't gotten that text back. And, and one of the worst ones for me, even though they try to alleviate it with like a tracking number, is waiting on a package. I'm, I'm a mess the whole time. I, 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 I really don't think that tracking number does much for me. It just allows me to obsess over the fact that it's been in Phoenix for nine hours. I start criticizing FedEx, like, why is it taking y'all nine hours? I don't understand. Y'all over there playing on your phones, probably. You know? And then the day that it's supposed to be delivered, you can ask Cassidy. I just, like, hover around the front door, right? And I just, like, look through the blinds every 15, 20 seconds, <laughs> right? And, and it's gotten to the point, and Cassidy can literally vouch for this, where I've been so close to the front door when they knocked on it, I had to wait a few seconds, to make it not seem so crazy, you know, like they knock on the door. And I'm like, got my package. <laughs> I just don't like that time of waiting. And I don't like when that fear creeps in. I don't like thinking maybe they delivered it to the wrong house. Maybe they, oh, maybe someone stole it, right? It's, it's fearful. The longer we wait, the more, the more fearful we become. Well, that's kind of how these believers are feeling at this time that we're at in Luke and in history. They've been waiting. David told us a few weeks ago, they've been waiting 400 years. Put that in perspective, the United States has only been around for 250, right? So it's a long time that they've just been waiting because they have a lot of promises in the Old Testament. The promises started with Adam and Eve that we would crush the serpent's head and only our heel will be bruised. That the, seed would be, that the seed of Abraham would be blessed and would bring great nations. That David, right, a, a king like David from David's line would rule on the throne forever. From Isaiah, that, that a savior would, be, would, be, would bear our transgressions. From Micah, that he would be born in Bethlehem. All the way up to Malachi, the last minor prophet. And then 400 years of just waiting 
And I know fear started to creep in because in that time, people started writing books and attributing them to, to uh, big old-time figures, not even in a, in a way that would try to convince you that Moses really wrote this book. There was a book called The Assumption of Moses, and they weren't trying to say that Moses actually wrote it. They were just so desperate to hear from God that they just started writing things. And they were just like, look, maybe there's something in here that that God will come through and say that, yes, this is true, because we just want to hear from you. And then Luke begins his gospel. And Luke, being the orderly writer that he is, getting an A-plus on his essay, he gives us that thesis statement right in chapter 1, verse 4. I'm writing to you, dear and excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning everything you've been taught. So we know everything that he writes in here, he's writing an orderly account to confirm you can have certainty of what you've been taught. And he's writing to Theophilus, right? But the capital A author of scripture, the Holy Spirit, he's writing to us. We can have certainty for everything that we've been taught. And the first thing that Luke goes into is is three encounters with an angel of the Lord who say, fear not, fear not, fear not. The Lord is faithful to his promises. Fear not, church, because we've been waiting 2,000 years for the Lord to return. And that fear creeps in. Maybe we don't understand Scripture like we're supposed to. Maybe, we, maybe he forgot. Maybe he doesn't care anymore. Maybe he's just went off to another group of people and he's working over there now. Maybe we've been passed over. But as much as they, they are, their fear is being dispelled in, in our text today and in the beginning of Luke, our fear is also being dispelled by the same text. And so we have Mary, or, or we have Zechariah first, right? Where uh, the angel shows up and he says, hey, fear not. And there's a reason for that, right? Angels are scary. They're not the precious moment creatures that we see and stuff. Like they're scary. It's six wings, flaming swords. It gets real, right? This is like a, looks like a video game. All right, and you're not equipped, so this isn't good for you. And so he says, he says, fear not, right? You're going to have a child. And he's like, I don't know. Me and my wife, we old as a heel. I don't think we can have children. He's just like, look, the Lord has promised. So the Lord will be faithful to his promise. And he goes to Mary, fear not. You're going to bear a child. And she's like, I'm a virgin. I'm not sure you know how biology works. And he's just like, no, no, no. I will give you confirmation. The Lord is faithful to his promise. And then today we have the third encounter with an angel with some shepherds in a field. But before that, Luke wants to communicate some stuff to us in verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read those and I'm going to move through them quickly uh, because we really want to camp out in 8 through 14. But he said, uh, starting in verse 1, he says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And so before that, 
Before we get into this angelic kind of intervention with these shepherds, Luke is setting up a few things for us. And even in his just historical facts, he's already confirming the Lord is faithful, the Lord is faithful, the Lord is faithful. So we see the sovereignty of the Lord in just this, this brief narrative. And he says, okay, so there's a census. It goes out to the whole world. And because of this census, Mary and Joseph end up in some completely random city that they threw a dart on and it just landed. No, no, no. Mary and Joseph, Joseph end up in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the exact city that, according to Micah, a minor Old Testament prophet, that they would end up in, that Jesus will be born in. God wasn't just sitting around going, hey, how can I get these people? Maybe I can like, send them an email with a free like, plane ticket to Bethlehem, and they'll click on it, and they won't think this one's spam. It's, no, 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 the Lord is orchestrating empire-wide his plan. And so they end up, and Luke points this out to us. He says, he says they went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That's his first sign. The Lord is faithful. Mary and Joseph, they end up in Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David. Again, the Lord is faithful. Fear not. He keeps his promises. Why? Because Joseph is of the lineage of David. God has promised David that that someone from his lineage would rule and reign on the throne forever. We're talking about King Jesus. And it says, as Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And then he comes down and says, it was was time for her to give birth. And she wrapped her firstborn son and swaddling cloths and laid them in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. The Lord of all the universe, and somehow he missed his reservation at the end? You think God was, was, was up in heaven refreshing Expedia? Like, man, there ain't, there, ain't, there ain't no openings. What do you want me to do? You don't think the Lord of the universe could have made sure that his son had a room at an end? It's all purposed. It's all planned. The Lord is already turning the the, the kingdom of the world upside down. The economy of heaven is exactly opposite of the economy of the world. Jesus teaches that later. The first will be last. The last will be first. If you want to live, you must give up your life. It's all backwards, and the Lord is just turning it upside down. The king of glory is coming in a feeding trough. And here, here, he, uh, Luke breaks away and we, and we zoom into this one conversation that a few shepherds have with an angel. Starting in verse 8, it says, And in the same region, so just a couple miles away from, uh, from Jesus being born, from the King of glory coming into earth, in the same region, there were shepherds out in a field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So we have shepherds, right? They're out in the field. These are not clean people. These are not people who are, who are praised in society in any way. As, as a matter of fact, they were marginalized. They were discarded. They were considered um, dishonest to the point where there was law saying that you can't buy anything from shepherds because it's probably stolen. 
they can't bear witness in court because they're probably lying. These are, these are laws. These aren't just general don't go to that neighborhood type of things. These things are against the law. It doesn't matter what you saw. You can't bear witness because you're lying from the beginning. They lived outside. They took care of animals. I know there's some people in the room that have taken care of animals before. That is not a clean job. I don't know if you ever watched like the Animal Planet, like the amazing Dr. Poe or something. It, it's, it's crazy. Taking care of animals is crazy. It's a dirty job. These particular shepherds, they were probably believers. They were probably devout men because there were believers who were shepherds, but they weren't even allowed in the temple. The nature of their job kept them perpetually unclean by Jewish standards. So they weren't even allowed to worship in the temple, even if they were believers. And an angel of the Lord appears. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Do you see the stark contrast that Luke is already starting to draw out? You're dirty. You're lowly. You're humble. You're fearful. You're discarded. I'm going to show my glory to you. It's even nighttime. The glory of the Lord is bright. The same, the same word for glory here is used in some other big-time texts, both Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, in Exodus chapter 16, when, when uh, the first high priest Aaron is addressing the congregation, it says that from him shone the glory of the Lord. This is Shekinah glory that I don't have time to really delve into. This is a specific kind of glory. The full weight of God's glory is shining forth. And here it's shining at night. On these shepherds, on this lowly, there's a stark contrast. We already have the king of glory lying in a manger. Now we have these shepherds with the glory of the Lord shining on them. The same word here is used for when Stephen is talking in the temple. And it says that the glory of the Lord was on him. And that his face glowed, right? Same glory. And what happens is they're filled with fear. Again, there's, there's a couple different levels to this fear. Like, first of all, that's startling, right? You're just trying to keep out and look for some sheep. You're not trying to talk to these heavenly, be, heavenly beings. You're not, trying to, you're, you're not thinking that the skies are all of a sudden going to open up. So it is. It's startling. But at the same time, what happens every single time that man comes in contact with the glory of God or man comes in contact with a heavenly being is our hearts are humbled. We become fearful because the darkness of our sin also stands in contrast with the holiness of God. And we become fearful that this being has brought a message of judgment, which we know we rightly deserve. Even those who walked with Jesus day in, day out. John saw Jesus with his resurrected body at the beginning of the book of Revelation, right? And he knows Jesus. He was called the beloved. He pointed that out to us a lot. He sees Jesus in his resurrected form and he falls down as if dead. Isaiah does the same thing. Right? Our boy Job from the Old Testament, he had a pretty big problem with God. And he says, I dare you to come down and answer me. And Yahweh comes down and he says, my bad. I ain't mean that. There was some other dude talking crazy noise. I don't know where he went, but it wasn't me. Right. So 
So they are, they, are, they are filled with great fear. And again, we have the typical angelic response, fear not. Fear not. They are dispelling fear. The whole message of the gospel is dispelling fear. First of all, he says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So what he's saying is, hey, 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 I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here for judgment. I am here to bring you good news, good news that causes great joy. Relax. Man is, man is overwhelmed with the glory by, by being in standing in contrast of the glory of God and, and to keep them from being completely overwhelmed. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, man. I got good news. All right? I ain't going to strike you down today. One day, but not today, right? I got good news of great joy. In this, I bring you good news, it's a very specific phrase. It's used in the Greek Old Testament always to refer to deliverance of God's people from an enemy. Luke is especially, especially uh, consumed with presenting Christ as a deliverer. And he says, so, so I, have, I have news of deliverance. I have good news. And it is of great joy. Not just, not just the size of the joy, but the quality of the joy. Your fear is being pushed out and it's being replaced by joy. I know it's been 400 years, but listen. Listen, fear not. The Lord is faithful. Joy is here. And he says this great joy will be for, for all the people. Why? For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So he tells them, here's, here's the root of your joy. Right? Here's where the joys came from. Here's the good news. Here's your deliverance. For unto you born this day, not tomorrow, not sometime in the future. He's born today. Your waiting is over. Fear not. The Lord is not, it's not that the Lord will be faithful, it's that the Lord is faithful today, right now. Unto you is born a Savior in the city of David, just like he said he would be. And Savior here is again going to be that same word, deliverer. In the Old Testament, Savior was, was used of, of kings, even, and, and of priests and other people who could conquer armies and bring God's people back to the Lord. But here, we have a capital S here, right? In the city of David, we have a Savior. This is a specific Savior. This is the, the prophesied about Savior. And he goes on, and he just continues to escalate, describing this child that is born in the highest terms possible. He says, this Savior... This deliverer who is Christ, who is the anointed one, who is set apart for the service of king, for the service of priests, who is our new high priest. For unto you is born this day a deliverer who is king. And then he says, Christ the Lord. Some translations say Christ and Lord. Those two things put together 
make Jesus set apart from anyone else who's ever been born. He's not just a deliverer. A king can deliver people. He's not just anointed. A priest is anointed. He is the Lord. He is sovereign. It's the same word used to describe Yahweh of the Old Testament. So he says unto them, the root of your great joy is Jesus. And guess what? Jesus was born today. Fear not, for the Lord is faithful. And he says, and I have a sign for you. Maybe you don't believe me because that's kind of unbelievable. And he says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Things are starting to come together, right? He's not a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths somewhere in a hotel. There may be more of those. That doesn't seem that out of the ordinary. All of the empires come into one place for this registration. There's more than one baby, I'm sure, wrapped in swaddling cloths. And they're like, but this one, this king, this high priest, he's laying in a feeding trough. And that should be weird. It's probably the only one. Everybody else, they got to Priceline in time. They got their reservations, and that's fine. But this guy, he's in a feeding trough. The world is being turned upside down. God has revealed to this for the first time to a group of people whose testimony won't even be believed. They can go tell everyone. It will be assumed that they are liars and that they are swindlers and that they are thieves. And as Calvin put it, God saw it fit to reveal, to, to reveal his son first to those who primarily stand in animal dung. But that's the way God works. He chooses the weak to shame the wise. Right? He exalts the poor and humbles the rich. He chose Israel because they were small and insignificant and made them the most powerful nation. Dude just enjoys flexing, right? In ways that only he can get the glory. And, and the way Jesus is brought into the world, right? right that was even, even prophesied. Isaiah told us uh, that, that he would be poor, that nobody would be jealous of him. I don't know if Isaiah was getting a little personal or what, but he said the dude was even going to be ugly. He said he would be no one to look at, that no one would desire to be him. He'll come from Nazareth, which people will say, what good can come from Nazareth? He's in some podunk town. I kind of get the same thing when people tell me that I'm from Westlake. And they're like, ooh. And I'm like, why you got to say that? You know? But this is the way that the Lord has brought his son into the world. And the angel dispels that fear replaces it with joy. Fear not. Great joy has come for Jesus has been born. And then it says in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Right? So, so if it wasn't scary enough that we have this one angel showing up, all of heaven is opened up and a multitude of hosts is, is showing what is going on in heaven. And again, here's a stark contrast, right? On earth, it's quiet. It's nighttime. A couple people, some animals. 
but in heaven there is a roar, a deafening roar that would put to, that would put to shame any touchdown in Tiger Valley there's ever been, right? Death Valley, Tiger Stadium. And there's a roar going on in heaven for a Savior has come. The maker has been made man. Emmanuel, God with, with us, is now actually with us. The Savior of the Lord has come. And, and in Jewish culture, if there were two or three witnesses, it was considered to be undeniable. And God says, two or three, I will open up a multitude to attest to the truthfulness that this angel has brought. And they, what they do is, is they begin to orient our worship to the proper place. First, glory to God in the highest. Praise to God in the highest. First and foremost is God in the highest. And then he says, from that, from that, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's, it has to be in that order. Peace does not come from man to man. Peace comes from God, who has given us the greatest gift he could possibly give man, his son, who was born this day, the king of glory. And that is where peace among those with whom God is pleased comes from. Peace among God's people. Some translations will say, peace for whom uh, peace for men on whom God's favor rests. From this, our worship is properly oriented to God. Glorify God in all things, right? Paul would say, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. That is the chief end of all things in creation, to glorify God. And just, just give you a little heads up, everything will glorify God, regardless of the outcome. God's glory is what he is after most. The glory of him, the glory of his son. So as our world I would say gets turned right side up. It was, it was upside down as we exalted the rich, right? And, and marginalized the poor. As it gets turned right side up, we start to see the, the economy of God, the kingdom of God where the lowly are exalted, where God speaks to our fears. Because remember, we've been, we've been waiting five times longer than 400 years for, for God to return for those promises. And, and, and I promise you, in my own life, which, which I can only speak to me, right? But, but I assume it's the same for y'all. I, I have fears at times. The resounding, the resounding the cry at, at Christmas time should be, Fear not, for the Lord is faithful, as we remember, remember his faithfulness to the, to the biggest promise that he's ever given us, that we will conquer death as Jesus did. But sometimes, sometimes I start to fear maybe God has forgotten the promises that he's made to me. I know I can read it, and I know, you know, I can, I can understand it, right? And, and I get it. 
But Lord, sometimes it feels like that you're not for my good. I know that you promise that you are, that you're good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes, right? And you have promised that you will, you will bring every work to completion that, that you have started. But Lord, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes I don't feel like you are faithful. And straightforwardly, to be, to be frankly honest with you, According to, to the Holy Scriptures, in love, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. The Lord is faithful to His promises. To the Christian at Christmas time, the message of Scripture is fear not. For we have been brought good news of deliverance that causes great joy among all that love him. For unto us a Savior was born 2,000 years ago. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. And he replaces all of your fear with great joy. He replaces that fear that you have that you are inadequate. That fear that you don't belong that emotional chaos. In those times, God is faithful, fear not. In times of extreme emotional distress, in physical pain, in emotional chaos, God is faithful to what he has promised. God is sovereign to use you and your situations for his glory, for your benefit, for the good of all that he has called according to his purposes. Fear not, Christian. For if God is going to orchestrate an entire empire, an entire world to accomplish his purposes for the birth of his son, so too will he, or so too can he do the same for you in your day-to-day life. And, and, and scripture tells us if he cares for the lilies of the valley, how much more will he care for you? He is capable. To the non-Christian, to those who are struggling, to, to those who hear those words and, 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 and a, uh, arguments spring up, Right, arguments about what Christians actually do and then say, hey, uh, Christmas is just a stolen pagan holiday. Don't you know that? Jesus wasn't born in December. Don't you know that? And all this stuff, it's, it's silly. To you, I would say, fear not. Fear not. That sounds like fear. That sounds like, like, like fear that, that it's, it's possible that... that that you are not enough. It's possible that you don't have everything together and that skepticism is coming up, I would say, from a place of, of fear. We know, we know those arguments. We, we, we get it. We would just choose to focus on different things. If you want to talk about those, we can, but fear not, for the Lord is faithful and gracious even to you. And I would say that this is, is the reverberating chorus for us at Christmas. 
in the city of David a Savior who is Christ and Lord was born unto us. Fear not, this is great news. This is good news of great joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and I pray that, um, that this message has, that your word um, has, has opened up the hearts of, of someone, Lord, of anyone, but of, in a very real sense of everyone. Lord, we are thankful for, for what you have done. We are thankful for your faithfulness. We are thankful for the fact that, that you have heard our cries just, have, just as you have uh, throughout all of Scripture. Lord, that you have, you have answered us, that you, have, you are bigger than our fears, whatever they may be, that we can rest in you, Lord. Lord, we are thankful that, that day by day, you are patient, you are kind, you are gracious. You love us despite the fact that we are really, really bad at loving you. That you have given us your son. You have given us this time to, to uh, commemorate what you have done. That you have pierced through uh, the darkness of uncertainty. And you are faithful to every letter of your promise. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in the name of your holy and precious Son. Amen.